Welcome back to Game of Thrones 2 Electric Bookaloo. I'm your host, Anthony. This week, Aaron's back. We talk about the House of the Dragon premiere that we both attended. No spoilers, so don't worry about that. Then, philosopher slash theologian Trip Fuller joins me to talk about Tyrion's final POV chapter. If you're looking for my conversation with Steve about season eight, or you'd like to hear Steve and I talk about the House of the Dragon premiere, do a search for Double Dragon. There's that little button on your iPhone that looks like a magnifying glass. Just touch that little magnifying glass and type in Double Dragon. You get to hear Steve complete his journey through Game of Thrones, and you could hear us cover House of the Dragon episode by episode. All right, here is Bosmang Aaron. We didn't see each other much at the premiere, kind of want to hear your experience of it yeah i um i was because I, I was trying to think because i knew i wouldn't be able to say much about it right so on the way to the thing i was like okay i'm gonna have like four basic reactions the the first and best would be this is amazing it's one of the best premieres i've ever seen yeah I'm up there with breaking bad the leftovers the original game of thrones Two would be this is a good pilot that's going to successfully rope any disaffected Game of Thrones fans that might have been inclined to try to give Westeros another shot. Yeah. Three, it'd be mildly disappointing, but like maybe not a disaster. And four, it's a complete garbage fire. Sure. <laughs> I think it's definitely the second reaction, which is this is a good, solid pilot. Yeah. It's not, um, man, I don't want to say it's not flat. It's, it's, it's in between the first and second. It doesn't quite get to the highs of like, oh my God, I got, but it definitely, if you feel raw about the way Game of Thrones ended, and I know a lot of people do, mm-hmm. I'm in that camp, I think this is definitely going to, I can't imagine a person, a fair-minded person watches this episode and, you know, like, fuck it, I'm out. Mm-hmm. Not nah, sure. Just like trash. I don't want to see anymore. I don't want to give it a season. I, I think people are definitely going to be locked in. What do you think? Well, I think it's interesting. I think, when we talked immediately after seeing it, I was kind of like cautiously optimistic and I kind of felt like both you and Steve were like, oh no, that was, that was impressive. I, I, I think your visceral reaction after this was, that was really good. And so- I was, I was surprised. I was actually thinking it was going to be closer between two and three. You were, you were bracing yourself. I was bracing myself for like, you know, well, you know, there's uh-huh. some flashes of good stuff, but there's also uh-huh. like even the, you know, like the Game of Thrones pilot, if you go back and rewatch it. I was just going to say that. Cheap looking. Yeah, it, it was and, a little hokey at times. It was, you know, it was definitely enough to to hook you in. But if you compare, also, if like even if you compare like the third or the fourth episode to that pilot, the pilot does seem like it it doesn't quite have its tone yet no this this seems like it knows its tone and this is a grown-up show that knows what it's doing i i think it's that's the thing it's like i want to say it's a stronger pilot but the thing is is it doesn't have like brand getting thrown out of the window you know <laughs> like spoilers it does not have brand getting thrown out of the window. <laughs> it doesn't have that kind of like oh my god this is this is redefined because like the thing uh, is you know exact like you have expectations like uh-huh. game of thrones is going to have sex it's going to have violence it's going to have betrayals mm-hmm. like we know what this shape is and we know what uh-huh. it feels like we know what martin's tricks are so and then there's not that there's no surprises yeah no there are, yeah i think like that it's like, oh my god! I don't usually watch TV like this. I think that I tend to agree with you that. Well, when I was watching this, I was a little bit worried, cautious early on, and then there was a podcaster brain now. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so then, then there was a scene, and I think we could talk more about this in a couple months or in a month or so. But yeah, there was a scene. That was just amazing. I was the same way, and I was thinking, "Wow, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed." In fact, from that scene forward, I was just locked into the uh-huh. episode and right. had, had the, the podcaster brain had kind of turned off. <laughs> That's it. I do want to talk a little bit about expectations because there's a sense in which, like, if you're like me, you're not like, you know, used to Hollywood events, you know, so. There's a sense in which, because we were invited to this event, 
we would be way too built up for it. And so the event itself would, would kind of overshadow the episode. The other way you could look at it is you're thinking, mm, I, I, I think this is probably not going to be great. And so I'm going to be happily surprised yeah. if it is good. It sounds like you're kind of in the second camp. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I was going to say that like, I my expectations are pretty low until I saw that latest trailer and then I'm like this actually looks pretty hot and I think the core like the core fire the the dance uh the dance of dragons core uh fire and blood material is good it's just really dry mm-hmm. and this especially when I saw like uh, several sentences and I can't I would love to give an exact fucking example but like uh you know, like like a couple of sentences on the scene uh, on the page brought the life, yeah. and and not just brought the life, but there's the emotion. Like they are elaborating on a lot of things. Like you, um, uh, it, it's it's uh, it's like if you if you heard that the you know Jamie Lannister was the king Kingslayer because he killed his liege lord, uh-huh. uh, and uh, the, all of the realm sees him as a bastard. Now, if you read that like three lines in a history of Westeros. You'd be like, ah, Jamie sounds like a real shit. But like <laughs> right. by the third season of Game of Thrones, you don't like that. That those three sentences have yeah. come to life and they mean something different to you. Yeah. And I think there was two or three instances in this episode where, you know, something happens in the book and it's like a factual thing. But now we see the characters embodied by very talented actors because I think all the acting was like top shelf in this episode. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of really, I think, good. Li- there's some some crowd pleasing lines, uh, some some badass lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I thought that like so like my expectations were neutral to positive, and I was going to say it exceeded them. I actually was came out here thinking it was going to be like a two. To, you know, I, I was going to have to be like, well, it's just the first episode, and keep in mind, and they got to do a lot of they got a lot. I actually thought comparing to the original Game of Thrones pilot, which just piled characters and locations yep. and settings and stuff like I felt like this was a lot more accessible because we already know kind of who what Westeros is about. Yeah, it's a smaller, more intimate kind of setting because it's like all about the Targaryen family kind mm-hmm. of. Yeah, um, well, this is not like who the hell is dead and why do we care <laughs> and who are these people? Oh my God, they're brothers and sisters. Oh, they're fucking. And they're like, they're, they're, it's, it feels a little bit more easy to follow too. It does. And the other thing that this episode does is it really establishes a baseline for just how complex these family dynamics are. There were a couple elements or a couple scenes where you're like, that guy is just killing it. That guy is... I will watch every scene with this character in. I am, like, riveted to the screen. I can't wait to see ten episodes of that guy doing Westerosi stuff all over the place. I, I, I think there's at least a couple yeah. characters for me that, like, I will watch the show just to watch that character fly around Westeros, you know. I'm going to throw one out there. Matt Smith amazing i had that was the one that i was the most worried about because every time i see him he's in a tweed jacket with a bow tie and a dorky haircut and he's holding the hydro spanner yeah hyper spanner whatever the hell the doctor who shit is Mm -hmm. you know and every time like you know even in the latest trailer like it just wasn't coming together like i did because this guy's supposed to be he's just rogue Mm -hmm. he's this badass he's a skilled swordsman he's he he's he's a a real shit but also there's something about him magnetic and crit Mm -hmm. and like i wasn't thinking matt smith he fucking nailed it man he was a a beast in this episode and he does everything that he needed to to exactly encapsulate what his character is supposed to be as prince damon absolutely i was thinking immediately i was thinking i i think that jim and aaron have to include a little Damon Targaryen in the badass podcast. That's a, a good 60 minute body of work. If you're wanting to get a, to put a badass statement, let out me there. just say as far in terms of introducing a character into a narrative, the way that he's introduced, the way that that scene is set, the lighting of it, all of that stuff. I would, man, I just thought I I'm in, I'm in, I'm, this is what I was wanting. You know, I was sort of like all my expectations 
you know, were, were heightened at that moment. So I can't wait and to I'll see say this next. too. Like when we talked about in terms of production value and, and the, uh, how, the, how cheap the game of Thrones pilot. Yeah. None of this applies the yeah. production design. Mm-hmm. I think the King's guard looks better than at the height of game of Thrones series. Sure. I think gold cloaks look better than I've ever seen them look. And I think that the loca- King's landing looks amazing. The dragons, oh my god! Like you know, I, there there is some sketchy dragon work in the middle parts of uh, Game of Thrones. I think these things are rock solid. Of course, in the prime of their life, uh, it's it just it's just in the, the the different locations as we go around. You see them all in the trailer. I, I'm kind of want to talk about it. like I'm I'm trying to avoid everything, but it's mm-hmm. like like King's Landing, which of course, mm-hmm. but like all the different locations and stuff also look rock solid. And just everybody is just nailing it. Like Patty was Viserious mm-hmm. um, is surprising uh, from what I've seen. I thought that uh, uh, well, first of all, I didn't think we'd see a lot of them, and there's there's a, there's a lot of them. Steve Tassant as a chorus for, Corliss Valerian and his mm-hmm. wife, the Queen that never was. Like those, like are very interesting characters, fully realized. Like just you know, it's. And, and you can see, and that's the thing I also, also like, I kind of thought that I would, and, and maybe I will later in the season have clear rooting interests because reading in fire and blood, I'm like, I'm not sure which of these assholes I want to win. Yeah. Um, I thought that I'd come away like thinking clearly, like in, you know, cause you get into end of uh, episode one of game of Thrones, like Starks are bay mm-hmm. uh, Lannister's yeah. shit. And that's yeah, like what thing you, I don't know. Like, I'm really like, I'm I'm sympathetic to everyone in the early goings of the show. I was going to say the opposite. I was going to say every single person in this show is capable of betrayal, is capable of chicanery. Sure. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean they can't be my favorite Game of Thrones character. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Right. 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 Hey, uh, what was your, what was your feeling of the after party? I thought it was, I thought it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I will say this too that like um I've been on places where it's like a true junket. Yeah. And they're trying to just wow you with like, you know, all the thing, you know, the swag bag and this and that. This was not that. This was them. This was a pretty, you know, modest affair by Hollywood standards is intimate. Like I think there was maybe what 300 people including cast and crew. Oh no, uh, it was a lot more. That, that like the maximum capacity of that venue is 1000. Wait, no. What what the theater? Yeah. Because like I, I according to Dave Chin that the, that theater's capacity was like 350. So they have two theaters. Uh-huh. And one is green and one is red and we went into the red theater. That holds a thousand people? And that holds a thousand I was thinking that after party was at least 500 people. Oh, maybe well, it's, it's, then that's it's you're probably because I was just get, gauging on the theater, which was not full, and that's something that I got from uh, you know Kim and uh, Kim yeah. Renfro and David Chin. Were, they did one, they got one turnaround faster than we did, and you know she was saying that like the theater, like compared to season eight where they had the Radio City Music Hall, the whole right. two thousand people right. jam packed. This was like the however many five. Well, if you were gonna, I mean, I guess Kim would would be the the better reporter, right? So I'm I was just I was just going from the website to see how what the maximum capacity was. Well, Dave probably just saw the wrong theater because sure. he wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we were in the red one. I thought number one, like when we when they sort of seated us, mm-hmm. we were kind of like in an angle near the front, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, these are kind of crappy seats. But then like. It was a great, like, the the screen kind of, like, had that concave effect. The ends were coming a little bit out, so the the middle of the screen was kind of pushed back. It was really impressive. I mean, I felt like... beautiful screen. I was seven or eight rows back right in the center, so I had, like, you know, like, Matt Smith was towering, and uh, it, it, I thought it was, it was a beautiful theater, great sound. All right, so let me ask you this. All right, so you're having this experience where you're watching these actors on screen and knowing that those people are sitting five rows behind you. Yeah. What? I mean, that's a little weird, isn't it? It was, but like, I, I, I don't know. I don't feel like, um, like I said, I, I've definitely felt where people were trying to get me to like something and give, you know, yeah. and I, but if, if sure. that's the case, like, you know, everybody gets a dragon egg and a mm-hmm. Targaryen t-shirt and here's a poster mm-hmm. and now we get shit. We got, 
we got a uh a, a, a ziploc bag that we put our cell phones in and <laughs> I know. they were really really talking but, up the ziploc bag too <laughs> but the i gotta say that it was like in the after party it was really cool that like uh you know i'm there at the bar like oh shit there's elon musk there's matt smith there's patty Constant, Constantine, Tone, uh, I can't pronounce that guy's name. I want to say Constantine every time, and I know that's I, not. Right. I, I say Constantine, and I know it's Constantine. And Constantine. Okay. Yeah, but I, I just um, it, like it doesn't matter. <laughs> Emma Darcy is that her? The mm-hmm. older Rhaenyra. She's so they're like a lot. Almost all the big name cast were there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ryan Condal, Miguel Sapachik, the showrunner is there. Uh, George Martin himself would have been there had it not been for COVID, uh, him contracting COVID at San Diego Comic-Con, which is a bummer. And they were all just kind of like, you could, uh, you're not, we weren't supposed to take photos of them, although they did, uh, Matt Smith volunteered to take a selfie at, towards the end of the night with our producer. Um, but they were all very accessible and it was easy yeah. to walk up and say hi. The, the highlight of me though, cause like I, I honestly could give two shits about stars like yeah. I'm, I'm glad they're doing what they're doing but i don't get a visceral thrill I, there's some people that I do because i really like their work but like you know um i really like talking to my old podcast buddies i just pre- pretty much talk to joanna and kim and uh kim kim's husband mike and uh um uh mallory and uh jason from sure. the old binge mode podcast they've uh, split and gone their separate ways but they were all there and everybody's like that's the thing about the podcast community is like there's a lot of love there a lot of support um yeah it was good to meet of- kim for the first time like i i you know i've interviewed her a couple times but uh never in person so that was really nice i got to uh, um see uh, david peterson uh yeah. famous linguist who invented the fake sure. languages uh, so well, he was there. There, okay, cool. I'm glad you guys got the. I, I noticed there was some stank put on some of those those uh, Valerian phrases. Uh, yeah, I was emailing him afterwards, and I was like, I I noticed that some of these characters are pronouncing their words a little bit differently than Danny did. Classic Targaryen phrases. That's right. A little bit different. Of course, it's. Yes. You know, if you played if you played back stuff from colonial America, it mm-hmm. would sound a lot different than nowadays. And it's it is 170 some years before the the classic. That's game right. Time. So I thought that yeah. that was really interesting because like he emailed me back. He's like, yep. You know, whenever you see an R in High Valerian, it ought to be rolled. And so if it's not rolled, that means that right. character is mispronouncing it. And I thought. This is this this adds a little bit yes. of intrigue because now I got a little bit uh, more insight to Danny's. You know, Danny's not quite. She doesn't uh, quite have a handle on her own history. She doesn't, you know? and why would she? Right? Yeah. Um, I will say that that like already there's also. I mean, you can't say a lot, but there's already them filling in the history of Westeros in a very what I think is a very satisfying way. and in a way that seems already to piss off the book readers because I was seeing <laughs> yeah. There's going to be a bit of controversy. Some, some of my a... tweets yeah. uh, launched triple digit lore threads on uh, a song, uh, ASIOA, right? <laughs> which Kim let me know is that's the proper pronunciation of that is ASWAF. Uh, so I'm going to be referring to the a Song of Ice and Fire acronym as ASWAF and R slash ASWAF, R slash Game of Thrones. And, and it, there's a CD. I don't know. This has an explicit rating, but I don't know if you're allowed to say that. Oh really? Yeah, there's like a uh, level above explicit. Well, I'm gonna, let me and check I... with one of the bald move executive producers. Yeah, right. Oh, actually, they're giving me the thumbs up. So <laughs> okay. Uh, right. he, the, um, what was I saying? You de- derailed me. Um, oh, there's book fans seething that George Martin is using this tool, and he obviously is this these shows as a way to build his universe that is running in many cases ahead of the books at this point. He's like doing new things. How could they be upset? Like this is clearly what he this is what he's been doing for a long time. Yeah, ever since he inked the deal with HBO. Yeah. No, I I, I don't I don't under I mean If you're listening to this and you're upset about that, let me tell you how this works. George figured out a long time ago that he's a producer of content. At this point, he's so much more than an author. You just have to either accept that or walk away. I, I don't see that there's any other options here. I think there's just a lot of anger at George not finishing the books. I think there's a lot of anger about how the last time a show ran ahead of his written material, it was perceived as a bad thing. I just think there's a lot of like, and I I think again, to be fair, justified trepidation about um, a new show that's based on, you know, more, Mm -hmm. I I, I guess there's, um, 
it's it's not just fire and blood there's like what there's two other novellas uh i forget exactly what it is uh that 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 detail a little bit more of this history um yeah there's the rogue prince and then there's the princess and the queen right princess queen those are the ones i was thinking of and i i think that i can understand if i'm a book reader who feels like they've been abandoned by george that there's Mm -hmm. a little bit of jealousy that he's playing with his new toys and he's forgotten about us yeah well, um, I don't get the not, sense that he, I mean, aside from like looking over the scripts and, you know, giving a thumbs up, according to Kim, what Kim told me was, it's not like he's actively writing for the, the show. No, but he is definitely giving them ideas and blessing ideas and saying, hey, I've since thought this and they're, they're right. They're, they're, yeah. no, I don't think he, I don't think he'll be credited as a script, but like he is very involved with the the history and the lore building yeah Um, and if that's the case then there's no i don't have any problem with viewing this as an expansion of canon it's just i just want it to be good i just wanted to i just wanted to start strong have a good middle and finish satisfyingly in three four seasons and us all think that like this was a good solid uh game of thrones project and by all accounts by my own two eyeballs if 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 this is big if yeah if the entire season is this quality and better than uh or at least this quality then i think the vast majority of fans that have decided to come back are going to be pleased because it does feel like game of thrones yeah i think yeah i think that if you are willing to give this episode a look and you're willing to sit through the end of it i my sense is that you are going to be willing to watch more. Like this is not going to turn you away. There, there's no. at least a couple elements of this that I think will be thrilling, and at least a couple characters that you think, yeah, I'll watch. I'll watch more of that character. That that, no, that I, this person totally is intriguing agree. to me. I totally agree. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away. And I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. And now Dr. Trip Fuller helps me cover the final POV chapter in the first book from Tyrion. This conversation picks up as he and I are discussing the 
upcoming adaptation of Tolkien's work, Rings of Power. Okay, here is Trip Fuller. I mean, here's what I'll do. I'm going to go into this. I'm going to feel a certain amount of anxiety about it. Yeah. I probably will give it a few episodes. And I think that I will be able to sort of step away if I need to. Okay, well, look, here's the deal, Anthony. Right now, just between me and you, um, I'm I'm doing a Tolkien class, you know, in August. Okay. Um, called Tolkien Heads. Yes, I do make a, a a parody graphic of the Talking Heads album cover with the color over their faces and put like Gandalf and stuff behind it and put color over their faces. Very nice. Yeah, I I approve. Doing well, class with a bunch of Tolkien scholars just so there are people that are interested in me talking about Tolkien so that I can talk with my other scholar friends about the TV show. So I need you to talk to me about the show before you quit watching uh, okay. it. Okay. Well, I will come on. I, if you want me on, I will come on. We will talk about it. No, I'm, do I want you on? I do want you on. I wouldn't have brought it up. Uh-huh. If I didn't. Yeah. All right. I, I'm like I said, I feel like. But if you don't like it, you might only get five minutes. You know what I mean? Like if you start complaining, I'm going to no, be like, I don't Anthony. think complaining is is good podcasting. And so I try to find, you know, the beauty in it's almost like listening to a sermon for me. I feel like because of my. Mm. What about your student sermon? The first time mm-hmm. they preach and they say. Anthony, could you come? I feel like for me, because of my line of work, it's really hard to listen to a sermon and not like destroy it. So I've had to train yeah. myself to not be destructive. <laughs> and Good yeah, job. so I just try to find like the one the one positive thing that I can take away. So I actually I think it served me well with things like House of the Dragon. Game of Thrones, things like that. I feel like I'm able to kind of go in and and look for the beauty, and you know, I'll talk a little bit about the things I had problems with too. But I all I I think that for the most part, um, I would rather talk about the stuff that I liked rather than sort of dwell mm-hmm. on the stuff that I didn't like. You know the um the that experience, which you know, not a lot of people have had, uh, probably listening. If you teach in theological education, right, especially master's degrees, these are people that are doing the degree to be mm-hmm. trained to lead a congregation. And then you go see them preach. That, that That's a scary moment because you, you know that these individuals felt called in some sense to steward a wisdom tradition and then a community uh, followers, and they're giving their yeah. life to it. And then they sit up there and they're preaching a sermon, probably trying to, to communicate to the people something they that they really believe and want to give their life to in a compelling way. And then you, the professor, sitting there going, that is a horrible exegesis <laughs> of Romans. There's, there's like just completely wrong. Now, I know you believe, and yeah, okay, that's a good idea here, but it's just bad. And then you had that moment where you go, I'm also critiquing myself. How good am I at my job if this is what my students are doing? You know, it's a uh, it's really painful. Well, I think I'm helped a little bit in this regard because a lot of my students come from the black preaching tradition. Uh-huh. And so they're up doing something that I don't know how to do. Right? <laughs> yeah. they, like even if I tried to stand in a, a pulpit at a black church, I could not pull off what they can pull off rhetorically speaking Mm -hmm. so i just sit a lot of times i'll just sit there and just appreciate the aesthetic with with a little bit of yeah with a little bit of holy envy like like oh that's that's an interesting approach to this particular problem i wouldn't have done it and i probably shouldn't try to do it because it's just not my culture but Mm -hmm. I, i do know i i think i can sit there and sort of divorce myself from my critical apparatus. Although, I'm not sure how we got on this. <laughs> well, <laughs> look, look. But no, it, it was about um, how you deal with things you love and that you've prepared as a scholar um, to, to be able to appreciate sermons, even though you know you can deconstruct them as a, as a professional and an academic, you can learn to appreciate them in different ways and that you might have to pull out that hermeneutic. Same thing with stand-up comedy. Like, I can sit there and think, that bit was funny. That bit wasn't funny, right? 
Yeah. In addition to all of that, I know that I couldn't do what that person's doing. Yeah. So I appreciate what they're doing on stage rhetorically. What about what about when the bald move boys keep podcasting about The Walking Dead, even though it's horrible? <laughs> See, that is a like I couldn't do that. that. To I, me, like, that is that is the most beautiful gesture of faith that I've ever seen, because <laughs> it's like they're devoted to something that they know deserves deconstruction <laughs> so i you know again beauty I, I i try to capture a little bit of beauty here and there so trip we're looking at Tyrion's final pov chapter in the first book um you you're a little bit like Tyrion, aren't you i don't know well, thank you. <laughs> I didn't know how you were going to respond to that. You could take that in a number of ways, but do you feel a certain affinity to the to Tyrion as a character? Well, um, you know, I don't, I don't know, really want to share everything I've shared with my therapist about sure. uh, feeling like the overlooked son until things get uh, a serious, serious quagmire, and you realize your prize son might be dying and his twin sister who he had incest with uh, uh, make uh, the new king is doing a horrible job. And at last resort, you realize that there's the short but overlooked drinking and thinking wise one in your midst. And you feel like you must finally leverage the, the hidden gem of your family. Um, they, like if I was to give details about those parts of the uh, identifying with him, it'd get weird. Um, no, if I, I feel but, uh, sympathy for your therapist for sure. Okay, okay. Plus, I'm not going to pay you, <laughs> so I, I don't want to burden you with that story. But no, I do. I do. Um, I, I, I. One of the reasons I love the yeah. Game of Thrones books is the the, the different chapters take the different yeah. POVs, and then it tells you and owns it. Like in. Like in, in Lord of the Rings, you always have a POV, a person that's functioning there, but it's almost always the least knowledgeable character so that you're learning the yeah. world with them. And one of the things that uh, in Game of Thrones is that the POV character uh, is often uh, very informed and, and, and giving you insights to the game of Thrones that's being played as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, using the kind of ignorance of the character as a device for communicating yeah, it's interesting. to the uh, audience. I, yeah, the, there is absolutely that. I think that, um, you know, Martin will do a, a couple little literary tricks where he'll bring a character from the north to the south so that you can kind of see see the south through yeah. the northerner's eyes or, you know, you, you know, bring Cat to the north. I think that Tyrion's the character in all of these books. He's... He's almost always the smartest guy in his chapter. Mm -hmm. So, like with even with like Bran or Arya or John or Ned or Cat, you almost get the sense that there are other characters in this chapter that might see things differently, and I might trust that character a little bit more. Right? It's like whenever Littlefinger's in a Ned chapter, I'm thinking, well, what is Littlefinger thinking? Because cause I feel like I would trust Littlefinger's take on this whole scenario more than I would Ned. With Tyrion, I would almost trust Tyrion more than any other person in his chapters to tell the story that's going on around him. Do you think that part of it is... Um, Tyrion's own experience and in, in place within his family, which also puts him in a certain place within uh, the, all the you know uh, battles for power uh, that show up, uh, leads him to have uh, empathy for a whole host of characters that over the time, you know, over the the long story, uh, have more and more uh, prime. Yeah, roles. it could be that for sure. I also feel like there's a little element to Tyrion where. He has trained himself to observe everything mm -hmm. because he has realized that if I'm going to survive in this world, I need to suss out danger, sniff out danger, whether it's political or you know actual. I need to sniff out the political pitfalls of every room I go into. And, and he's talented at doing it. So I, I think that there's something about being raised a dwarf in Martin's world that has mm -hmm. sort of given him the superpower of observation. Yeah. Now, now, um, 
and I know you have a you, you have a strict form here, Anthony. We're starting to derail from it because I had a thought. A thought if we're we're allowed to chase the mm. comedy bit. All right, let me um let me read the uh the synopsis and then we can talk more about that. I know I just want to apologize to all your regular listeners. I listen <laughs> and I know other guests aren't this rude and derail things. <laughs> and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just like talking to Anthony and then he asked about Tyrion and I realized since we moved I haven't seen the uh-huh. therapist and, and <laughs> Okay, here's yeah. my synopsis. Tywin Lannister and his lords meet at War Council in the Inn at the Crossroads. He listens to the accounts of the Battle of Whispering Wood. Then he hears his lords argue about what to do next. When Sir Harris Swift suggests that they sue for peace, Tyrion shatters his wine cup on the floor. He thinks that war was insured when Joffrey cut off Ned's head. They argue some more. This is when Tywin shouts, They have my son! For the second time, Tywin clears the room, save Kevin, Lannister, and Tyrion. Tywin explains that Renly has declared himself king, and that Stannis is patiently waiting. But Stannis might be the most dangerous person of all comers. Then Tywin orders a change in management. Tyrion will serve as Hand of the King and keep Joffrey in line. He is commanded by his father not to bring Shay to court. Then Tyrion returns to bed where Shay is waiting. He decides to take Shay to King's Landing. So, Trip Fuller, what do you want to talk about? Shall we talk about a character, a plot point, a theme, or shall you and I climb the ladder of chaos? Ooh, okay. Now, I, I want to do a theme. Good. I want to do a theme. I love themes. I want to do a theme. The theme um, I, I want to talk about is all the family, the game within the family. In this in this chapter, you see how the Game of Thrones runs into like just all the family system toxicity yeah. of the Lannisters, where they're big picture that they have of themselves like their cherished self-image is running up against the reality mm. of the, the jamie and Tyrion and and cersei and joffrey like all their character uh, flaws the ways in which they they don't trust their all that kind of stuff is like brewing this toxic storm that is also generating right this giant uh st- storm in the yeah. big game of thrones but I'd, lo- I'd love to hear from you like like what do you see going on just in that mm-hmm. family dynamic of the of the five lannisters that are are either present or spoken of in the in the chapter yeah i was thinking a lot about jamie in this chapter and i think that there is kind of a brilliance to the way martin has constructed the family so mm-hmm. there's no doubt that tywin has the most power right I, I, I don't think anyone would disagree. With I mean, that. you could say he's the most powerful man in the kingdom. I think that that would be disputed. But in the family, absolutely, Tywin has the most power. And yet, he's got this major weakness. Tywin's major weakness is that he's got all of his eggs in the Jamie basket. And mm-hmm. so... Rob has attacked the Jamie basket. He's captured the the, the Jamie basket, and so that Tywin has to kind of look around at the, the the wreckage of his life at that point, and think, okay, if I don't have Jamie, what am I what am I working with here? You know, my my grandson is is a yeah. psychopath teenage king. My daughter is trying to command, rule the kingdom through her son. I don't trust her. I've got this lecherous hedonist in Tyrion. And how do I manage all of this? How, how do I come out on top when the thing that I most trusted my legacy in is now captured? And I think that you can kind of it's mm-hmm. it's it's fun because Tywin's a really smart guy and he's sort of scrambling to figure out what to do with the wreckage of his yeah. life. Even if you think of there are a couple killings uh, in mentioned. Uh, one, you get uh, Tyrion talking about well, you know, if you cut if you cut a Stark's head off, 
you you can't like oh let's sue for peace like you right. already picked a war because you have yeah, hothead yeah. over there um you know jamie <laughs> um the kingslayer is uh created conditions where he thought he was coming into power right so there is some sense there's these connections where when lannisters overstep their hand just like you know even the pursuit here that right. gets jamie captured uh, it creates problems. And then what is Tyrion's, like, dig at his dad? Uh, hey, you remember Robert Baratheon? <laughs> well, uh, Rhaegar Targaryen's yeah. still dead. Uh, like, underneath it, it's like, <laughs> you're uh-huh. leading this family, and you're turning to me. And I, basically, all the other ones that you would like to trust first kind of yeah. kind of suck. They're not doing very good. And now you're stuck with me, and he forces his dad um to call him a son, right? So you you mentioned twice uh, you get they have my son, you know, and uh, and then he and then Tyrion's pressing him like, Dad, like why do you want me to go be sure. hand of the king because you are my son, and we <laughs> we know that that, that was a a, a a the the subtext of that the the kind of shots you have to get if you're filming it of their faces is a dad yeah. begrudgingly calling the son his son uh, and i just think that that all that in there like they're playing the game of thrones and then underneath it so much of what the whole kingdom is stuck wrestling with the violence and death that ensues is is all tied up in this uh, this one particular yeah. family who can't even figure out how to be like slightly above average <laughs> as a family. All right, I got I got a question for you about this. All right. So Tyrion is being sent to court to rule, right? And and he asked his father why. He says, "Why not send Kevin? Why not send one of your other lords? Why not send a bigger man?" Do you think that Tyrion, I guess this is my first question. Do you think that Tyrion is just trying to get his father to say, like, I'm sending you because you're my son? Or do you think he honestly, like, what are you thinking? Like, you've never trusted me with anything. Why would you send me? Do you think he's just trying to get him to say the words? Or do you think he earnestly doesn't know what's going to come out of his mouth next? Well, see, uh, here's the way I read it. Now you have me questioning myself. And I, I only do that once a year. So, um, the, I I read it this way: like, um, he wanted him to admit, he wanted his dad to admit mm-hmm. that he needed him, and that ultimately all the other options, right? He's giving out. Tywin doesn't really trust them, because what is, what is it that he really wants? He wants the next generation of Lannisters to to perform the idea he has of what it means to be a Lannister. And that as as wealth and power and control, and he wants he wants he wants his son to do it because he knows even if he hates him, he loves his brother, and he loves his sister, and they have these complicated relationships. But he's in so he knows his son has got this these primal wounds that he just wants his dad, his brother, and sister to 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 show some recognition and validation of him, and. And he and he knows he's learned what it means to be a Lannister. And if given the power, he's like, "You've been watching and learning, and I, I, I never give it to you." So I, I, that's how I heard it: as this uh, this going like, "You know what it means to be a Lannister. I know you know how to do this. So if I let you do it, you can mm-hmm. you can rock it." And he also knows that he's going to show back up there, and he's going to take the role. And the, do you want to go make Hand of the King one of these other people who might be a little dis- depressed when they have to take a step back? But he's already trained Tyrion. If Daddy comes calling for your power or sending mm-hmm. your whore away or whatever, Daddy's going to do what Daddy's going to do, and you're going to get over it because you should just be glad I didn't kill you. <laughs> you know that. Now, here's the other thing I was thinking. I'm not sure, and I don't think that there's anything that would make me certain about this, but. I feel like I am not sure what Tywin really believes about Tyrion's parentage. I think that there's a part of him that wonders, is this really my son? Um, I think that there's a part of... Because he's confident in how his seed rolls. Maybe. I don't know what Tywin thinks. I don't know whether he's thinking, well, this is the best I can do because... 
my other son is, you know, captured or whether he thinks this is the one guy I know that will not take Cersei's shit. You know, he, mm-hmm. he he's he's going to go. I, I man, I need I need someone to tell Cersei that she, you know, that she, she's been doing it wrong. Yeah, plus if he sent one of the other people, they're going to be like, well, your dad said, and she's like, my dad, you uh, know. But if he says, yeah. dad said, it's like brother yes. and sister. And, yeah, they, you they know. know each other well enough. They can kind of sniff through all of the bullshit. Cersei would know that if, that if, if Tyrion's lying, he's dead. <laughs> sure. It's like, dad's been looking for a reason, you know? So, well, and I think, yes, that's right. And I think that Cersei was as shocked as anyone about what Joffrey ended up doing to Ned. Uh, I think she knows that the boy's out of control. And, of course, Tyrion is really good at slapping Joffrey. Yeah. Like, so good that you could have a montage. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yes. So I think that there's something about Tywin where he's he it's very possible that he's saying you're my son because he feels like I need to push that button to get this creature to do this action. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. he's totally manipulative in that way. It's also could be true that he's thinking, well, this may be the best I got. Cause, cause Jay, and I think that that's how Tyrion reads it at the end of the chapter. He has this little um, moment, and I'll go ahead and read it because I own a copy of the book. Um, <laughs> it says, <laughs> "What if you were like I would read it, but I've actually don't I have don't, a copy. I lent my copy. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, that is when he knew you have given him up for lost. He thought you bloody bastard." You think Jamie's as good as dead, so I'm all you have left. That is how Tyrion yeah. interprets his father's actions. And I don't know whether they're misfiring, if this is really what Tywin thinks. Um, but Because you don't get confirmation. You don't get confirmation. And I think that Tyrion does not know what to do with his father's praise. I think you got you almost get the sense... This is the first nice thing that Tywin's ever said to Tyrion, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which in, mm-hmm. in and of itself is totally dysfunctional, right? No, doesn't it? Doesn't Tywin from there go to try to get Jamie back? Isn't that where he? I yeah, I think that he decide. That's why he doesn't want to go to court, right? So, so that's why I I took that as as a. Uh, the Tywin actually is going to try to get his son back, so he doesn't really think he's dead or, you know, up for good. That's how Tyrion sees it, because he's like, mm-hmm. the only way he would ever do this is if he's mm-hmm. dead. But but here's here's the... You tell me what you think of it. This is the other element that made me read it that way. Um, what are the two demands after giving this task to Tyrion? Uh, one, daddy comes in, he has his wine, but untouched. So he's like, Tyrion, I don't... I'm gonna give you a job, but you see this cup? It has wine in it. I'm not drinking out yeah, of it. Sure. Don't be a glutton and a drunkard right now. And then don't take your whore to court. All right? Here's here's like you got the brains. You obviously don't have the body and the good looks of your dad, but uh, you got the brains here. You got the name. So what I need you to do is probably not day drink and hang out with a whore. Yeah. And then you can fill in for me for a little bit. That's so. That was my like when I was trying to debate whether he knew or not and like what his dad intended and whether his interpretation was accurate, I saw this as like, I see, yes, you have the ability. I need you not to drink. Don't take the whore. Come on. All right. I'm glad you brought this up because I wanted to um, bring up an email that I got from a very astute listener named John. Hi, John. So John T, if you're listening, this is, this is you. We're talking about you. No, this is not John M. No, no. Your email didn't get selected, bud. <laughs> Sorry, John. John suggests, and this is sort of next level, three-dimensional chess stuff. Ooh. He suggests that Shay is actually a Tywin plant. All along. All along. And he knows that if he says, oh. don't take that whore to court... That the what his lecher son is absolutely going to do is take Shay to court. 
And that will allow Tywin to keep an eye on Tyrion. Um, now, all of this is conjecture, but here's what we do know. At some point, Shay does become a Tywin creature, right? Yeah. And so we. So then the question is, when does this happen? And John suggests, well, isn't wouldn't it be an interesting way to read the story if this was a problem from like the very beginning? Ooh. Okay, I think I like that. I, I liked it. Makes it makes the ultimate, uh, what spoiler warning death mm-hmm. of Tywin even even cooler. If you know, it wasn't just this kind of betrayal at the end kind of uh-huh. thing, but he'd been being tooled with all the time. Right. But also, it's bad since my identification with Tyrion. I got so maybe I'm maybe I. Maybe maybe what my therapist needs to talk to is John and realize yeah. <laughs> that what I thought was like an invitation to really have the identity of son is just part of a, a deep, deep manipulation. And everyone around me is a So I don't I don't know what to think about this. I feel like I do want to believe that Tyrion and Shay actually have this earnest love relationship at some point. You know, yeah, because it and do you think I'm like in in rereading? I think the 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 genuineness of the love comes through more in the TV show than in the in the book. Yeah, it it very well could be. I think a lot of people don't like the way that Shay was portrayed in the TV show, but I think that they do some interesting things with her character and. I almost feel like I, I now I'm, I'm struggling with whether or not I prefer to see one of my favorite characters actually have love or whether I want to see one of my favorite books have another level of complication. Because if Shay is always in the bag for Tywin, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily negate the fact that she falls in love with him. It very well could be that, that she's 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 a complex creature as well. Yeah. Um could be that yeah, I'm a spy. I'm I actually am still in love with you in the same way that John is in love with Ygritte, even though he's a spy, right? Mm-hmm. Um so again, it's it's a theory. It's 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 going to be hard to prove this because Shay is dead and Tywin's dead, right? <laughs> so yeah. how will we ever well, know? Do you, I think um, I think John needs a T-shirt. Do you give T-shirts out to high quality emails? <laughs> John gets a T-shirt. <laughs> John, uh, I don't create T-shirts anymore, so I'll just send you one of my old T-shirts. And hopefully it fits. It, won- it has sweat stains. He uses it a lot when mowing. <laughs> Do you just always keep an air horn around just in case you need to praise someone that needs a t-shirt? I got this new uh, contraption. And it has a, it has a soundboard on it. Um, the, when my Zoom recorder broke, I got a pod track mm-hmm. Zoom. And it has sound effects. So they're just sitting there. And, you know, I, I thought I did pretty good the first 30 minutes we were talking. But show me one effect that you feel like, when would I ever get a chance to use this effect? Well, the the, the air horn works good if you you mention the Clegane Bowl, right? Like, that's that's what the... But, yeah. but when they're fighting, you play this one. Yeah, Game of Thrones. <laughs> See, you don't use that one if you're talking about Rings of Power. No, you can't. You know? And you don't use this one when you're talking about rings of power either. Because you know what Tolkien never puts in his books? A discussion. Like when uh, Tyrion walks in and uh, cups the breast and notes when the nipple gets No, hard. you'd have to go to Board of the Rings for that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know what that is. Cause I'm oh, paper. gosh. You don't know Board of the Rings? I was preserving my witness. All right. So... <laughs> All right, so I feel like I've got this wonderful moment to tell a hardcore Tolkien fan about a parody called Board of the Rings. And it is very it's it's funny, but it's also very body. You know, you've got hobbits and elf queens sort of getting mm-hmm. it on and whatnot. And um 
it's it's worth it's absolutely Ooh. worth uh, looking at. So, and you're saying this was actually the real inspiration for Game of Thrones. <laughs> I can guarantee you, Martin's read Board of the Rings. I think it was like... written by one of the Harvard Lampoon guys. Um, I, I'm not positive about that. Mm-hmm. I have to go check that. But anyway, it is a parody. It's totally worth it. Um, I do want to mention one other thing about this chapter. Okay. Yeah, do it. So we've talked about Shay. The mountain actually gets a speaking role in this chapter. I was kind of shocked when I saw it. It's like, oh, the mountain can talk? <laughs> um, all the eyes. <laughs> here's what he says. He, yes, he's like, a man who sees nothing has no use for his eyes, the mountain declared. Cut them out and give them to your next outrider. Tell him you hope that four eyes might be better than two, and if not, the man after him will have six. It's like, when did you learn how to speak, number one? (laughs) Number two, this is horrific. This is just the first thing that he says. You know, it's like, I've I, I decided to speak up just in this moment to give you my little theory on how to manipulate outriders to do their job by popping eyeballs out and giving them to the next guy. Yeah, I. It, but you have to admit, though, just for his branding purposes, it really is like a good thing to say when you open your mouth. Like, if you're trying to keep your mountain status, then you hear this and he's like, oh, mm-hmm. look, you know what Tywin's thinking. He's probably going to go rape and pillage and stuff. And I, I probably can't outdo those numbers because I can't command. But you know what he can do? Pull eyeballs out. All right. Uh, notable introductions in this chapter. I don't know. Do we Have we heard about Marjorie Tyrell before this chapter? Because I think that she might be introduced for I did, the first time. I didn't know chapter. if it was the first time she was mentioned. But Justin, like, it is big yeah. about the marriage. Yeah, the, uh, we absolutely have the introduction to... The marriage between Renly and Marjorie, for sure. Vargo Hote is mentioned in this chapter. Notable departures. The the innkeep is swinging from a, a hangman's line. Yeah. Uh, so, so farewell to the innkeep. Um, differences between the show and the books. I was interested in this line where Tyrion says, um, you know... This is in response to him saying, you are my son. And he's like, you old bastard, you've given up my brother for dead. Mm -hmm. I kind of read the show Tyrion a little bit differently. I kind of felt like when he says, you're my son, it's almost this look of bashful pride on on Mm -hmm. Tyrion's face. Like, I can't believe he actually said something nice to me. I didn't get the sense that like he was quietly judging his father in the show. So again, subtle, but it actually is quite a big difference for the this particular character's motivation. I definitely think the because of the way the the death of Tywin plays in the show, people people will would resonate more with the ultimate betrayal by Tywin of uh, Tyrion and um and be like, "Oh, yeah, shoot that fool while he's taking a dump. Uh, yeah. If 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 Tywin it was understood to have given Tyrion this little bit of hope that you know there is some love there, right, right. I I think yeah, it's, it's even then it's maybe like can you really trust it, right? So, but yeah, I'm not sure that trust is a category Lannister use. <laughs> Sure. Um, the the, uh, the one thing we haven't mentioned that I think is funny mm-hmm. in this chapter is the discussion of getting on a boat in the middle of a battle in full armor. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, yeah. and Tyrion being like, you know, basically like, what, what a dumb dude. He oh, this guy des- totally deserves to die. Yeah. It, it, it makes me think of those, uh, those little... 
bits at the end of GI Joe episodes. Yeah, you know, one to like grow Snake on. Eye sh- shows up, <laughs> and he's like, "These kids are like, wow, it's a down power line that's making light. Let's play lasso with it." And Snake Eyes is like, "Don't touch down power lines." And they're like, "Why? You're gonna get burned and die." And they're like, "And knowing is half the battle." GI Joe, like yeah. similar things. Like, are you in a battle? Are you going across water towards your enemy mm-hmm. wearing giant metal suit? Yeah, yeah. I just want to get there fast and fight. Don't do it. You could drown. And knowing is half the battle. <laughs> Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh man, oh that's really good. Okay, well, I dude, I totally appreciate. It. All right, so how do people find you if they want to hear more Trip Fuller? How do people find the uh, the your Tolkien class? So I mean, they can go to tripfuller.com. Trip with two Ps and uh, find the podcast Homebrewed Christianity. I do lots of classes and stuff if you're into philosophy, theology, religion type things. But where the next big one is called Tolkien Heads. And if you go to TolkienHeadPod.com, you can uh, join up. And it, you, you get to interact with uh, some like super Tolkien uh, academics. Then we got four. Yeah, honest lectures. to goodness internationally known Tolkien scholars written major books, won awards for these books and not just one, not just two, three legit Tolkien scholars in this class. So you're going to absolutely going to get your money's worth for this. Well, but I'd also say it's donation based and includes zero because like you can give money if you want, but you don't have to. So if people just want to go check out the things, they, they're more than welcome to. Um, Tolkien Heads or TolkienHeadPod.com. Any, but yeah, if you go to my website, I'm sure you'll find it. And uh, at some point, at some point, before you quit watching Rings of Power, uh, we're, we're going to have you on to talk about it because um, I, as the optimist in this duo, <laughs> I think that by the end of the second episode, you will use both of your eyes when watching. You're not going to have one closed. I hope you're right, man. I absolutely hope you're right about that. Um, and and uh, yeah, I'm I'm totally down, totally down to to participate in whatever way you think that I might be useful.